Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. We magnify you. We glorify you. We stand before you and say thank you. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus on that cross. That where we bow our knee before the cross. And we look up upon our salvation. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We never forget what Jesus did on that cross. Paul said, I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Tonight, I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, Father, I thank you for your spirit tonight that would come upon us, in us, and through us. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. Lord, we testify that Jesus is Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the righteous one, the Holy One of Israel. He is our master. He is the leader, the shepherd. He has all authority over us. So, Lord, I ask you to manifest your word tonight. Lord, speak to us as mature, not as babes. Let us leave here today changed, never to be the same again. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your ultimate grace upon us. Thank you for your love that you bestowed upon us. Lord, let us see you in a different way. Holy Spirit, have your way. We thank you, Father. And we say, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. Lord, shake off the natural man and let the spirit man receive. Man was first spirit, then soul, then body. And we lift up everyone's spirit. Let's our spirits touch heaven. We deserved hell, but you gave us heaven. You wrote our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. We give you praise and honor. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome this beautiful sunny afternoon. I walk by faith and not by sight. Awesome to see you again this Sunday. I hope you're all doing well. My name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm a pastor by Sunday and a comedian by Monday. No one laughed, so that's good. I'm a terrible... Very interesting that that song. Um, have we all muzzled the kids from last week? Like, because I brought my taser. Any kid out of order today, I'm going to taser them. But I'm only joking, all right? No. It's interesting that song that we sang, we bow an ear at the cross. And the last verse was that the veil was torn. And the title of my message is that the veil is torn. And we're going to talk about the veil that was at the temple, at the Holy of Holies in the temple. Now, everyone's at different here, 
different backgrounds, not um, sometimes knowing the history, and we'll, we'll touch on it tonight. But a veil does many things. The veil in the temple was separation from the outer court and the inner court into the most holy place. And um, we might as well use the picture. The curtain or the, or the veil in the temple of the Holy of Holies. So you have to understand that when the, the temple was here, when, when Jesus would speak about his body being the temple, he would knock down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And they thought, took us 45 years to build that temple. How are you going to rebuild it in three days? And he was speaking about his body, that he would die and be buried and rise again in three days. And the high priest of the day, of in the temple days, would perform sacrifices as Dorian shared beautifully about the Passover and that they had to kill a lamb and put the lamb's blood on the doorpost. So when the angel of death came to harvest to come and get the firstborn, if he saw the blood, he would pass over it and everyone in that household would be saved. And the Jews would celebrate, up until this day, they still celebrate the Passover feast. The last supper that Jesus was partaking with his disciples was the Passover feast. And the high priest would be the one that would go into the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And he would walk around the curtain. And he would, but he couldn't enter without blood. So they would pick a lamb and they would sacrifice a lamb and they'd put their hands on the lamb and they'd confess their sins and they would confess the sins of Israel and the nation. And that lamb now became a substitute on behalf of the whole of Israel. And then that lamb would be killed and the blood would be drained and the, the priest would go in and offer a sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, and pour it on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. But he was the only one allowed in there. He was an ordained high priest. No one else could go in there. You would drop dead. Even he, if he didn't do what was right before the Lord, he would drop dead. So the veil was separation between the outer court, the man and God. It was a type of when Adam sinned and when, when we, we, we read the, the account of Adam, Adam walked with God day and night, had fellowship with God. You know, I often say Adam didn't know right from wrong or good or evil. He just knew God. He just knew God. See, Adam went from the revelation of who God was, his, his creator, his father, and when he sinned, he went into information. See, when Adam walked with God in the cool of the day and, and Adam fellowshiped with God, he was magnifying the glory of God. He was reflecting the glory of God. He was covered by the glory of God. But the moment he disobeyed and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he realised he was naked because the first thing God says, how do you know you're naked? Have you eaten from that tree? So now he thinks he was like God he was already like God. He was made in God's image. He looked like him and likeness. He had his character. So Adam went from being like God to losing that likeness. And when the Bible says that he tried to cover his shame, his guilt by sowing fig leaves and covering himself and Eve. I often say that's the first religion on the earth, the fig tree religion, the fig leaf religion. The religion is you trying to cover your shame, your guilt, your, to, to cover yourself from the mistakes that you made to please God and you cannot. 
Only God can rectify that. Amen? So they tried to cover their shame and guilt with fig leaves, and God says, no, no. And the Bible says he covered them with skins of an animal. He covered them with skin of an animal. So the animal had to die, symbolic of that Jesus would have to pay the price one day and cover us with his skin, which is his glory, and pay the price. So Adam now has a veil. And you often read the Bible and you think God got angry, kicked them out of the garden. And it wasn't so much that God got angry, God had to protect them. So now they know right from wrong. Now they've been tricked by the devil once. And the next thing he was going to do was go and eat from the tree of life. And if they ate from the tree of life, they'd stay in that state of sin forever with no redemption. The Bible says God puts an angel there to protect the tree. Sorry, he puts an angel there swinging a sword every which way to protect the way to the tree. In other words, one day Jesus would come and lead us back to that tree, which is he is the tree of life. Amen? That there was a veil on Adam. There's been a veil on man. God put skin on man. And today, what does the Bible say in the New Testament? Crucify the flesh. Because that's the veil between us and God. You cannot please God in the flesh. The Bible says our battle isn't against flesh and blood. The Bible says that the kingdom of God isn't about food or drink. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what are we trying to achieve here? The Bible says put the deeds of the flesh to to death and walk in the Spirit. What is he trying to say to us? He's trying to say to us that who you really are is on the inside. Who you really are is on the inside. And we live in a world that's, we're looking at what's looking on the outside. See, the Pharisees were people looking at the outside. They they made long prayers, wore nice robes, sat at the head of every table, of every restaurant, every wedding. Made And God says, don't look about the outside of the cup. Clean the inside of the cup. Then the outside is clean. God looks at the heart. We look at external. That's why we can never be moved by what we see. See, right now in the world now, a lot of people are moved about what they see. Adam was moved by what he saw. The Adam in the garden didn't have to believe for anything. It was there. He didn't need to sow. He didn't need to reap. He didn't need to, there was no sowing and reaping, seed time, harvest time. There was no faith, no meditation, no, no uh, fasting, no prayer, no, nothing. It was there. The only thing he wasn't allowed to do was touch that tree. So he said, if you touch from that tree, you will surely die. What did Adam do? He watched Eve eat and didn't see her die. He went by sight and not by faith. And guess what? So he said, oh, well, I'll eat too. And then his eyes were opened. Can you see why that we need to walk by faith now and not by sight? Is anyone with me today? Is there a, you want to have a siesta, a little sleep? Maybe you had big lunch. Not all good. The veil in the temple separating man from God in the presence of God. But there had to be a high priest and a sacrifice to get there. But in the temple, that veil was 30 feet high, 60 feet wide, and six inches. I think I said 20 feet. It's actually 30 feet high, 60 feet, 65 feet wide, roughly. And six inches thick. It wasn't a little curtain from Ikea. Blinds are us. 
And behind that curtain was a, a, a door. I see, Lebanon's mentioned here. Look, I'll tell you why. There was a wall blocking it with a door for the priest to go in. It was made out of cedar wood, so we made it. That's why there's no more trees in Lebanon. But there was a wood. So there was the, the veil, and they say there was another veil, but Paul says that the veil was torn, and we can enter boldly into the throne of grace to obtain mercy in a time of need by the sprinkling of the blood. But I want to read these account, Matthew 27. We got it up there? Awesome. They crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots. That it might be fulfilled with which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watching over him there. And they put up over their head the accusations written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left. We spoke about this last week. And those who passed by blessing him, waging their head, Wait, uh, what's that say? That's what I meant. Their heads. And saying, who destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days? Save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocked him with the scribes and the elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Stop. See, they wanted to see a sign. It's interesting when they asked him, the Pharisees, and this God judges your heart. Listen to this. They said, show us the sign. This is before the cross. Show us the sign that we may believe. There's a, a perverse generation looks for a sign. But later on, he says, if you don't believe me, believe in the works I do because I come from my father. In other words, if you're looking for a sign to believe, you're a perverse generation. They were looking for a sign. All right, if you come down, we'll believe. So they're going by sight and not by faith. Are you with me? A lot of Christians are like that today. Well, I haven't seen God move in my life. He mustn't exist. So what? We believe by faith. But once we believe, the Bible says, signs and wonders follow the preaching of the gospel. So we must not be preaching the gospel if signs and wonders aren't following us. That's not God's problem. That's us. We've seen signs and wonders. And we've only touched the surface, and God wants to do more. But if it's about the signs and wonders, then it's about what God can give you, except who He really is. Keep going. He trusted in God, let Him deliver Him now, and we will, be, have, we will have Him. For He said, I am the Son of God. Either robber who were crucified with Him reviled Him with the same thing. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, so sixth hour saying 12 o'clock. To the ninth hour, which is three o'clock, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, a loud voice said, Eli, Eli, this is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My Hebrew is not that good, is it? Some of them, those stood there and they said, this man's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple. Now, this is where I wanted to get to. I wanted to show a background of what was happening here. Listen to this. Who was behind the temple? On the te who was behind the veil in the temple? The spirit of God, yeah? 
God's presence. Yes? Nod. If you don't know, just fake it. Just go, yeah. That's, trust me, it's that. He says, behold, the veil of the temple was torn into two from top, 30 feet high, to the bottom. And an earthquake and the rocks were split. In Matthew and Mark, sorry, Matthew records it. John doesn't record it. I don't think Matthew records this. Not even Luke. They tell you that the veil was torn, but there was an earthquake which moved the rocks. Now, when I was studying this, I had a look at a few things trying to find out some history. Because the next verse says that, get the next verse. And the graves were opened and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So a lot of people came out of their graves when Jesus was resurrected. But when the earthquake happened at the cross, rocks were loosened. What was those rocks? And the Bible, and when I had a look at the temple, the history of the temple, where the veil was, there was timber wall and there was a stone, a stone rock that would hold everything together like a lintel. So every door here has a lintel. It goes across to hold the weight because you can't have a door, otherwise the wall will fall. And when the earthquake happened, guess what happened? It broke and the veil was torn. God tore the veil. And the Bible says that the presence of God left the temple that day. When Jesus gave up his spirit, he says, Father, into your hands I give you my spirit. The spirit in Christ left him. He died. And guess who left the temple? God's presence, the Holy Spirit. They all left. Jesus went to the grave for three days and rose again. And then he says to his disciples, he breathed on them the spirit. Then he says, wait for the promise to come, the Holy Spirit. He will be not, and not long now, he'll baptize you and empower you with dunamis power, which is dynamite power, and he'll be with you and in you. And the veil was torn. Why was the veil torn? Only the high priest could go in and offer a sacrifice for you and me. In order for me to be forgiven, anyone to be forgiven, I need a high priest. He'd come on behalf of all of us. He'd go in there behind us by faith, and he'd pour the blood. If God accepted the sacrifice, he would walk out and say, it is finished. If he didn't accept the sacrifice, they're pulling him out with a rope because he's dead. Who wants to be a high priest? But we know that Jesus is our high priest now, yeah? Amen? The veil was torn, the rock was broken, and the door was open. You know, the Jews, if they want to offer a sacrifice, if the temple door's not open and they perform the sacrifice for their sin or or something that they were dedicating, it was invalid because the door wasn't open. Only if the priest had the doors open that you could go in and offer a sacrifice. In other words, I couldn't just offer a sacrifice and say, God, there's my sacrifice. The door of the temple had to be open, and there had to be a priest to do it on behalf. Now that Jesus went and died on the cross, the temple veil is torn. There's no more separation between us now. Listen to this. The door is open now. All the time, because they couldn't close it anymore because of the earthquake, guess what that means? It means we can come every day boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy because of the blood of Jesus. Come on, man. Think of this. We still need blood to enter the Holy of Holies. Do you know that? We still need blood. We still need a high priest. We still need a sacrifice. But Jesus fulfilled all that at the cross that any man be in Christ is a new Creation, no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. So when I come to the throne room and I bow my knee before him, guess who shows up? Jesus. I'm at the throne room of grace. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I want to show you something. I, I really get Because a veil does many things. As I said, it separates. You put a veil, it can block us right here. You can cover something. You can hide something. You can protect something with a veil. A bride comes down the aisle with a veil. In the Old Testament, the Semitic Jews didn't know their wife. Their parents would pick the bride and she'd have a veil. The only time he met her was the wedding day. You'd want to hope your dad had good taste, I'll tell you that much. Because <laughs> you never picked it. It's a joke. A veil covers. But look at this Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the way of which he dedicated for us a new and living way through the veil. That is that to say his flesh and having a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from evil consciences and having our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of hope that not to waver for the faithful, he is faithful in his promise. Because of the sprinkling of the blood, listen to this, there was a real veil. There was Jesus' body. Here it says that his flesh was a veil. When he was whipped, when he was pierced, when he was bashed, when he was put thorns on his head, when he was speared, when he had put nails in his hands and his feet, when they ripped his beard off, when they punched him, they stripped the veil, the veil of the flesh. They stripped what God put on Adam, flesh, stripped it, got torn. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, by his wounds, by his stripes, he, we are healed. Are you getting this? The curse came from Adam. God didn't curse the earth. God, Adam, because of you, Adam, the earth is cursed. He gave Adam the authority. So what he did, he had to send Jesus to get back the authority. The son of man had to come. Jesus, in the form of Adam, to take back what Adam lost. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a high-ranking cherubim or a seraphim. He sent his only son in the form of flesh. Adam, son of man. The son of man became, the son of God became the son of man. So the sons of men and daughters can become the children of God. He had to fulfill what Adam couldn't fulfill. And in the flesh, he took, he bore our sickness and, and he bore our sorrows. And when he was crucified, he got split in half. The Bible says that he was marred unto human recognition. See, I say this every week, just about every preacher I've ever preached, I always bring that up because I think we take what he did on the cross for granted. I can teach you 10 principles of how to live a good life, five principles of how to sow, three principles of how to be a good person, hope you, hope you forgive people, hope you, and all that means nothing if you don't understand what he did on the cross. Nothing. It's a waste of time. The veil was torn. We can enter now boldly to the throne of grace. Also, he says that the veil was wrecked. It was a, a, a Hebrew word, a Greek word. In the Jewish, Jewish culture and in the Middle Eastern culture, if someone's upset, someone dies, what do they do? They rip their clothes. But that means a lot of different things. So you could be in sorrow because something happened, bad news, and you ripped your clothes. You can be, you can be um, in the Jewish culture, if your son dishonoured you, you would rip your clothes and he's no longer your son. 
Caiaphas when he said to Jesus, are you, are you, tell us right now before God, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? He goes, it is as you say it is. He goes, blasphemy, and he rips his clothes. The temple tearing was interesting. Yes, the temple veil was separation. But when God ripped it, he wasn't just ripping, he wasn't denying Jesus. And I used to think, well, it might be he's denying Adam. He wasn't even denying Adam because Jesus came because of Adam and me and you. He ripped it. Why? If you read further back, Jesus is carrying a cross. I think we read this last week. He's carrying the cross and the women behind him are whacking, slapping themselves, crying and mourning, following Jesus. And Jesus stops, turns around and says, what are you crying for me for? Cry for yourselves. There's destruction coming upon you. He was prophesying the destruction of the temple. Do you remember when he cursed the fig tree? Then he walked in and saw the money changes and lifted the money changes and chased everyone out. Then he saw the widow, said that these, these guys are ripping off the widow now. Then he comes outside, he goes, look how beautiful this temple is, Lord. Not one stone to be left unturned. In other words, this is going to come down. And he's walking and they're crying over him. And he goes, you're crying over me. Get ready, destruction's coming. He was prophesying the destruction of the temple. What was, why was he ripping? In the sense that this veil God put there, why would God rip the veil? Because he was disowning the priesthood, the corrupt Jewish priesthood of his day. He said, I've had enough of you. Shh, you're no longer mine. That's why the Bible says it's a new and everlasting covenant. That's why we're not going back to old covenants. Lambs and goats and sheep don't do it anymore. Paul says it a lot. What's he doing? God the Father sees his son. I'm going to pay that price for man. Don't underestimate God loved the Pharisees. God loved Judas to the end. But at point, one point, God will say, enough. And he ripped the veil. He ripped his clothes and says, you're no longer mine. The Jews are his, but that system is no longer mine. That corruption is no longer mine. That high priesthood that you're perverting my people is no longer mine. I've got a great high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. He's going to go to the cross. He's my true. He's in the order of Melchizedek. And now I'm going to take him to the Holy of Holies. And that spirit that was in that temple now, listen to me. The Bible says God does not live in any man-made temples again. If you're looking for God in a building, you're not going to find him. He does not build, he does not live in any man-made temples again. He builds in the temple of your heart. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, if we can just get that. You're not following a celebrity preacher. You're not following me. You're not following a great denomination. I don't care if they heal the sick and raise the dead. Your source of life, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Listen to me. God is interested in a family, not an organization. But veils can be put on by us. Remember Moses wanted to talk to God? God says, I can't. You see the face of God, you'll die. But he hit him in the cleft of the rock, and God just passed by. He saw the back of God in a sense. But his face shone. And his, he saw the reflection of God, and God reflected from him. And he had to put a veil on his eyes because the people of Israel couldn't, couldn't stare him in the face. Imagine that. Old Testament too. And Paul says this, look at this. It's somewhere here. I wrote it down. I promise. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse twelve. I want you to understand this. 
want to wait for everyone to get there. Click it. You know they made an app now? You know how when people turn the page of the Bible, you hear the page? Uh, it sounds better. Now they've got an app where you click it and it changes the page. So I thought that was interesting, just to make you feel better. We there? Amen? Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Have you got it up there? Oh, look at that. Technology. Therefore, since we have a inner what? Can I say confession? I don't like these. Because I can read what I want, and even if I make a mistake, no one knows. But when it's up there, you go, oh, you can't read, man. English is my fourth language. All right, yeah. <laughs> therefore, everyone say therefore. You have to know what it's there for. I heard that once. It was funny. But since we have a such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face. This is talking about Moses. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church that Moses saw God passing by and he shone like God, put a veil on his face. Look what he says. He says, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is not taken away. Uh, sorry, the veil is taken away only in Christ. Stop. I had a friend of mine who used to preach to, um, to a lot of Jews in, in Rose Bay. He lived there and he got saved. And a lot of, their whole ministry was this, when they used to talk to, to Jews, and they were, they were Jews in the world. They weren't really following the Jewish race, but they would meet them a lot and they have a lot of encounters with them, business and, and party life and all that. And they were barely saved, my friends, at the time. They said, we were barely saved. But that, what they would do, they would catch up with them and they would share the gospel and then they say, oh, show us this Jesus that you think and you know what they would say? They would stop and they would say, Lord, can we just pray for you? They go, yeah. And the, uh, this is what they used to do. Lord, remove the veil off their eyes. And nearly every time they got born again. The first prayer wasn't Jesus died on the cross. said, Lord, remove the veil. Because here it says every time they read, look at this. Keep reading. It says, but even to this day. Now, this is Paul speaking. So you can say even now. When Moses is read, talking about the Torah, talking about the, the Old Testament, the law, even to this day. A veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. But we are all with unveiled faces, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Moses saw the Lord, but they were Old Testament creatures, and he had to veil his face and protect the people because they weren't ready to see the glory of the Lord. And the Bible says it was fading away. What was fading away? The law. The law was holy. The, the Ten Commandments is holy. The, the, the Mosaic law is holy. The sacrificial law is holy. Everything God gave the Jews was holy. They perverted it. But it wasn't bringing in the fruit that God wanted because of their perversion and because of the flesh. So what happens? Jesus comes takes on the sin of what they're doing in the flesh, crucifies it, and that glory is passing away because there's a new glory. It's by the Spirit of grace. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. That's a bit. Because five minutes ago, I couldn't sh get the kids back in. They were louder. In other words, we go from glory to glory. We go from the former glory, the law, to the great glory, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 
So when I put a veil, see, I can look in the mirror. Let's read that. James chapter 1, verse 22. This is the problem with a believer today. You don't know who you are. And you don't know what Christ has done for you. Because when you know who you are in Christ, You'll be running to the prayer room. You'll be running to pray in the Spirit. You'll be, it won't be a list, list that you shouldn't, shouldn't. You just do whatever the Lord wants you to do. Trust me. You don't go and, you know what, Lord, will I give that homeless man $5? You just do it. Will I offer this guy a drink? You just do it. You know, the most basic characteristics we have to be taught. Because when you have the nature of Christ in you, you just give. Rabs and I went to Brazil, and God bless everyone that, was, that gave. So we went, we all came with us. We just were there physically. And you know how excited we were just to give him whatever we could. Rab took his shoes off and gave him the shoes. We gave because he was putting a smile and we're doing what the father would do. And I didn't have a list saying, well, I sowed. So God gives me 30, 60, 100 fold. If you got under that teaching, burn it. You can't, God owes us nothing. What can I say to God to give me? that he hasn't already given me. Come on, someone tell me, what can God give you right now that he hasn't given you? You want healing? He gave you healing at the cross. You want money? He gave you prosperity at the cross. You want your sins forgiven? He gave it to you on the cross. You want restoration? He restored us at the cross. Gave us Jesus Christ. He gave us his best. And we want to settle for another job or a relationship. And we don't understand that we have Jesus. Look what it says here, James 1, 25. But, I don't just listen to God's word. You must do what he says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at, at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and you forget who you, what you look like. That's probably King James, yeah? But if you look carefully into the per perfect law that sets you free, if you do what he says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you in what you do. Can I summarize that for you? I look in the mirror, and if you, see, if you still see you, you have a problem. But if you see Christ in you, the hope of glory, you don't have a problem. But what we do, we look in the mirror, we walk away, and we forget who we are. And we should be reflecting Christ. Not in perfection, but in character, in likeness, in love, in mercy. If someone's down and out, will they knock on your door? If someone's in darkness, will they come to the light that's in you? Just asking. Are you the light at your job? Are you the light? Are you the love at your work or the love in your family? Are you the one that people want to be around and don't know why? Or are you the one that come over and they think, thank God they're gone? Some people are blessed that come over. Some people are a double blessing when they leave. And I'm not saying to pretend, but I'm saying, what is Christ in you? See, the veil was torn, yet we put other veils on. Whoever watched that movie, um, The Man in the Iron Mask? What well, he's watching movies for? Well, I'm joking. If you watch the movie, The Man in the Iron Mask, it's about a guy, a king, who had two sons and they were twins. And he says, mate, there's always issues with two sons in, on a kingdom. So he got one to put away. And the son that he left with him ended up being a and the king died, and he ended up being a very corrupt king. If you watch the movie, it's, it's a good movie. 
And then someone finds out that he's got a twin brother identical. So what they, they hatched the scheme. Let's go get him out of the dungeon. Let's teach him how to become a king. We'll kidnap the real king. We'll swap him because he looks exactly the same. And then he'll rule over his people in righteousness instead of evil. So they go on. They find this guy. This guy doesn't know what's going on. And he's, got, he's in a dungeon and he's trapped with an iron mask and they've locked the mask so he doesn't. And they find him, they catch him, and they say to him, listen, because what are you doing? Gets out, take the mask off, and they say to him, look, you're a son of a king. He goes, what? He goes, your daddy is a king, but you have an evil brother. I have a brother? My dad was a king? I've been locked up in a prison all my life. He says, that's not who you are. Who you really are is a son of a king. So we're going to train you to walk like your brother, talk like your brother, and what we do, they hatch this plan that they're going to swap them. And in the midst of this, you see in the movie, they teach him how to use a sword, teach him how to walk, how to sit like a king, everything. Because this guy doesn't know. Even though he's the son of a king, he's been a slave all his life. So now he's trying to get retrained. He's trying to renew his mind. But there was a scene there that blew me away. There's a scene there where you see them practicing with the swords. I think the three musketeers or something. Yeah. And the scene goes like this. They're, they're, they're training or doing something, and then the camera zooms up, and the, the kid, the king's son, is in the window watching him, and he's got his mask back on because that's who he thinks he is. He doesn't realize that he's the son of a king. He's the rightful heir to the throne. All the power and authority that he could have, he still sees himself as a slave with a mask in a dungeon. And unfortunately, that's the Christian church. We think we're still slaves. We still have veils over our eyes. We don't show the glory. You look in the mirror for one minute. You know what it means by looking in the mirror? You'll come and hear a great sermon, get hyped up, and go out the door. You've forgotten what was just said. And tomorrow, you're no different than where you were last Monday. And that's the saddest place to be. Can I tell you, this, my heart breaks when I see believers 30 years, 10 years, I've got people that got saved when I got saved 19 years ago and they're still walking around the mountain. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. 19 years later, God's got a plan. And instead of coming to the altar of his presence and getting changed and finding out what's going on in your life, is it you, is it the devil? Because it's not God. If I'm not willing to die to myself, there's no way Christ will live in me. You see, you have a look at that king. He was a king. His rightful place was the throne. Where are we seated? Come on, let's see who's reading their Bible. The Bible says we are seated in. Right next to who? The right hand of the Father. Jesus is Father, God, Jesus, and then us. Why does the devil attack you so much? Because that should be his spot. He thinks it's his spot. He walked up to God day and night. He was the morning star. He walked up with the flaming stones day and night. He saw the presence of God. He was an instrument of worship. He was the most beautiful. The word, the word Lucifer means to illuminate presence of God, but then he got pride in his heart because what God had in store for man, us, who is man that you are mindful of man, the son of man that you, 
what he had in store for Adam and us, he wanted. So he said, you know what, I'm going to take what he's doing for them. Man wasn't even created yet. And he says, lifted up his heart and said, I'll exalt my throne above his throne and I'll get them to worship me. The devil, all he wants is your worship. That's all he wants, worship. In the last days, in Revelation, it says, worship the image of the beast, which is the Antichrist. He's the one. Worship him. What's he want? He wants worship. Day and night, he walked in the presence of God. And pride entered his heart. And here comes Jesus, the son of God. He flushed him out on the desert and became a Mexican standoff. If you are the son of God. Could have Jesus turned the stones into bread? Of course he could have. Could he have jumped off the Temple Mount and got angels to catch him? Of course he could have. But he didn't. Any reaction by Jesus, what did they say to him? Show us a sign and we'll believe. You don't put God to the test. Because you know what? He was so comfortable. He did not have to prove who he was by signs and wonders. But because of signs and wonders, it proved who he was. Are you, are you with me? Does that make sense? Hebrews 4, 16. You don't get anything out of this? Are you understanding how much God has done for us in order to come into his presence? See, Bible says, who draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And it's interesting. Tom, I'll bring him back. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly, and boldly means with assurance and confidence, to the throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. In other words, I don't need a high priest to go behind a curtain and through a door to, to do it for me. I can come with confidence because Jesus shed his blood. And God won't say, what are you doing here? What are you, who told you to? He'd say, welcome. I've been waiting for you. Because if Adam ran to God instead of running to the fig tree, God would have just wiped it out. But he went and did it his way. See, we want to do things our way. We want to get cleaned up before we come to church. I want to find out what I need to do before I get baptized. Listen, get in the water. I don't have, I need to have a shower. Let me get cleaned up first, then I'll come and have a shower. You go to the shower to get cleaned up. <laughs> now, if you're Lebanese and you have a cleaner come over, most women clean before the cleaner comes. That's, never understood that theory. What's worse, the cleaner says, man, that job was hard. Go, you're a cleaner. We have people, cleaners on our job site. They go, man, that job was dirty. Oh, you're a cleaner. Do you want me to clean it for you? You don't come to the shower. Get clean first, then go to the shower. You go have a shower to get clean. Amen. See, she agrees. Or he agrees, I hope. <laughs> come boldly with confidence and assurance. Can we stand? I've said enough. I pray that you get the understanding that the veil in the temple was symbolic of Jesus' body, the flesh that was a veil. 
See, Jesus, who he really was, was the Son of Man. But he was the Son of God. Because when Jesus returned in Revelations and saw John, this same John was laying his head on his chest. That's how much he loved him. This same John says, man, there was fire in his eyes this time. He was scared. Because when Jesus returns back, he's not coming back on a baby in a manger on top of a donkey. He's coming back in his full glory. See, the flesh accounts for nothing. When the flesh was torn, guess what? The Spirit of God left Jesus. Guess what? Back to the Father. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and anointed him as the Messiah, yeah? Jesus walked in his own human spirit. His spirit was his own human spirit and got baptized in the Holy Ghost. He was he who knew no sin became sin. In other words, he bore our sickness in the flesh. Are you with me? That flesh was the veil. When Jesus said, into your hands I give you my spirit, what did he do? The veil was torn. His, his spirit, the Holy Ghost, in him left. Jesus went to the grave for three days. The temple was torn. The Spirit of God left the temple. Why? Why all that? Why all that? Because when Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, and the Bible says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. The same word breath is the same word in the Genesis where God breathed into the nostrils of Adam. He became a living soul. Same word, same principle. What was he doing? The disciples had seen the, the crucified Christ. Now they've seen the resurrected Christ. And now they can be born again. And now they came back to the image of Adam in the garden perfect. But this time the blood was shed. And now they're in the image of Christ, the second Adam. Then he says, wait for the promise to come from the Father, the Spirit of truth. And he'll guide you into all truth. Why? Say, so the breathing of the Holy Spirit is the is the redemption and the sealing of your spirit for redemption. That's when you're going to heaven. You're a child of God. But the spirit in the temple had to stay, go somewhere. No longer in man, man-made temples. Where was he going to go? Where was he? The Bible says that in Genesis, the spirit of God was hovering over the deep waters upon the earth. He was hovering. You know what hovering, the word hovering, it's a connotation of like a, like a, like a hen sitting on her eggs and incubating those eggs and waiting for the eggs to hatch. And the hen knows the eggs are there. And the hen knows that they're going to hatch eventually, but she has to wait. And then they hatch. Well, the Holy Spirit was waiting over the earth, waiting, waiting, waiting until the word was spoken, let light be. And then Holy Spirit manifested the light. The Holy Spirit left the temple that day. And where was he? He was hovering, still hovering, hovering. Where was he? Hovering. Waiting. He was in heaven, but he was hovering over the earth. Wait. When? When Christ re resurrected. And then the day of Pentecost, they're all in one accord, lifting their hands, praising God. He fell upon everyone, and they got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and they started speaking in tongues of angels. And that's when the church was birthed. The temple of the Holy Spirit is you and me. No longer the dwell in man-made temples, but the dwell in the hearts of men and women. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The veil has been torn. You can go boldly now. Take the veil off your eyes. Let God take the veil off your eyes. Take the veil off your heart. Because we put our own veils. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I don't understand this. That guy said this. 
My marriage is a wreck. You don't know what I've done. You know what? That's a veil. That's looking in the mirror and looking at who you are and walking away and forgetting who you are. A good sermon won't change your life. Counseling session won't change your life. Not against any of this. But none of that's going to change your life. The next best worship song, not going to change your life. The next best preacher, not going to change your life. You surrendering to God the Father on the, on the cross of Calvary, letting the Holy Spirit will change your life. All things have passed away. It's a sad place to be when you've lived through pain, through suffering. You've gone through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with you. You fear no evil. But then you want to look back and think, I want to go back to the valley of the shadow of death. The veil has been torn. The separation between us and God has been removed. When God tore the veil, picture the father who sent, remember that the, the parable of the father who sent someone to come and invite him to their son's wedding. One said, I'm busy. One said that, no, nah, I've got cows to attend to. One said, I just got married. One said, I've got a business. One said, Parramatta's playing. That was me. And it's, it's silly, eh? You get invited to a wedding. He obviously knows you. You don't get invited to someone's wedding and they don't know you. Yet those who knew him rejected him. So what did he say? You know what? Go to the highways and the byways. Go to the ones that don't feel like they belong. Go to the ones that have, have done things that they shouldn't have done and think they're not, they're not worthy. Go to the ones that have come out of, there's no genealogy, there's no history, there's no tradition. Have, go to the ones that are broken and busted. Go to the ones, go to them and invite them because the first will be last and the last will be first. And this father was upset because he rejected you reject the coming to his son's wedding. Well, that's God the Father sending his son and saying, come to the wedding feast. Do you know that the old Semitic Jew, when his wife would come, she had a veil. He'd never met her. And they would have the consummation of the marriage first, then the wedding supper. That, not like us. They don't have a ceremony to go to the reception, then, get, then they go and seal the deal. This whole possession is a dead age. You get what I mean? It was the opposite way. The Bible's the same. The Bible says the wedding supper in Revelations, when it's all over, we have a wedding supper. Christ came and lifted the veil of his bride. And guess who picked his bride? The father. And guess who he picked? A bunch of rotten, dirty sinners like us. And he redeemed us with his blood. And he seated us in heavenly places. And he's not coming back. God's not coming back for his church. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his bride. He's not coming back for an institution or a ministry gift because he gave us the gift. He's not coming back for a bunch of people that he's coming back for his wife. He's coming back for his bride. Like a husband goes and prepares a place. I'll go to prepare a place for you because in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. In, my, in the old Semitic Jew and the old culture and even to this day, you prepare a room, then you go and get married, and then you bring it to your father's house. And the glory of the father was how many levels, how many rooms he had. The more kids he had, the more people that got married, the more glory he saw. Because look at this, look at the father's house, it's full of people getting married and kids and that. And that's the same with the father in heaven. 
It's not mentioned. The word mention is being taken out of context. Everything's a mansion in heaven. Please. The roads are made of gold. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places or many rooms in my father's house. And the father gets glory from the sons and the daughters. And when God ripped the veil, he ripped and disowned that system. He disowned that corrupt priesthood system, that place where they were keeping people out. What did Jesus say? In my father's house is the house of prayer for all the nations. For you, I've turned it into a den of thieves. Don't make your heart a den of thieves. Don't put a veil back on and put conditions. I'm speaking to individuals here today. God has done all he can do. He sent his son on the cross for the veil. It's time to believe what he says about you. It's time to receive the love of the Father. It's time to understand how much the Father loves you. It's not about what you can do for him. It's about what he has done for you. And when I know what he's done for me, Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I will do. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the veil that was torn. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit left the temple that day. The temple was God's idea, but it was a tutor. It was, it was a signpost for Jesus. It was holy. It was righteous. The Bible says because of our flesh, the law was rendered a curse. The law brought death, but Jesus brings life. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you, what you've been through. And frankly, God knows. But God knows the beginning from the end. Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in a time of need. Father, I thank you for every word that comes to each heart let us dissect and filter out the words of the flesh and understand with the word of the Spirit. For the word and the Spirit bring life. You give life to the dead. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Lord, I ask you for anyone that hasn't given their life to Jesus, that may come to that altar of grace, bow their knee, repent of their sins, and be washed by the blood of the Lamb. For those who haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's hovering around you, upon you, waiting to come. You just have to ask Him. For those who want to just surrender it all to Him, that they would come and bow their hearts before you. You're a Father that loves your children. That you exalt the name of Jesus above every name. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself, only what he hears from the throne. Spirit of the truth. And he guides us into all truth. There is no more separation between us and God because of the veil that was torn, the body of Jesus that was broken. We just had communion. It says, by 
His broken body, we have access to the throne. By his stripes, you are healed. So, Lord, I thank you tonight. Thank you, Father, that we leave here never the same. Thank you, Father, that Jesus is exalted in our hearts. Holy Spirit, teach us. Wash us, Holy Spirit. Every burden that we carry, you would lift off us. For your burden is easy and your yoke is light. And Lord, I give you praise. I thank you, Father. Lord, I ask for the spirit of the fathers to fall upon everybody tonight. Let them understand how much you love them. <laughs> as far as from the east is the west, he remembers our sins no more. He doesn't even remember them. All he can say is, Lord, I've sinned. And then he says, well, there's Jesus on the cross. He only sees the blood. He sees the blood. The blood's still crying out. The blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. All the pain you're going through now is temporary. All the persecution you go through is temporary. All the suffering you're going through is temporary. We fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to your name, Lord. Glory to your name. Lord, I close with your words that you'd never leave us nor forsake us. Hallelujah. The floor is open. God bless you. If you want prayer, we're here for you. We're happy to agree with you. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, we're here for you. And get filled with the Holy Ghost, according to Acts chapters 1, 2, and 3.